Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. I love what Jesus said. He says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. He said, I have overcome the world. You see, He is the Prince of Peace. He's the Lord of Lords. And today that's exactly what we're seeing in the book of Romans, chapter number 8. As we see the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives We see it demands not just a new Lord, but it gives us a brand new life. And when when the Lord is Lord, when Jesus is Lord of your life, when that Holy Spirit of God is at work in your life, I tell you, there is something brand new that happens inside of you. So Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be in just a moment. I want to share with you a quote I read this week. It said, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. Think about this for a moment. Every one of us serves something, whether it's the, you're the President of the United States or whether you're uh, just the, the, the trash guy. All of us someone, serve someone, right? And the reality is, is that all of us, whether we want to admit it or not, has a master in our life. When we come to Jesus Christ, there's a brand new master. There's a brand new king in our life. There's a brand new Lord, if you will. And in Christ, we are no longer subject to the old master of sin. We're no longer subject to that old master of carnality. And now we are liberated from those old ways of thinking. And we've been given a brand new master. I tell you, that's a good thing. And no longer are there chains of sin that bind us, but instead we've been liberated, we've been set free, and we have someone we can serve who doesn't look at us with condemnation, but looks at us with grace and mercy and forgiveness. But the reality is that so many people still live like they're attached to the old master. And when, when, when Christ was here, he mentioned this about people with two masters. And he said this in the parable of Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. He says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, findeth none. And then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. Then he goeth and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. You know, we can clean sin out of our life and we may think we're doing pretty good, but if you don't fill your life full uh, of a brand new master, then you are missing the best part and piece of the puzzle. You see, that old spirit of sin... That old spirit of of carnality will fill your life back up if you don't fill your life up with Jesus Christ. See, when I chose to follow Jesus, I declared allegiance to this new Lord. I said, God, you are my Lord. 
You are going to be king in my life and there's no one else that can remove that from me. Lord, I want to serve you. Like that old hymn says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. You see, when we, when we put Christ in our life, when we say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I'm in need of a Savior, and I believe Jesus Christ came to this earth, He died on the cross, He rose again to give me liberty from my sins, and I ask Him to forgive me of my sins and come into my life. What we're saying is, God, I want You to be Lord of my life. Amen. The Bible says when Christ is my Lord, here's the good news, I'm no longer His enemy Romans 8, and just before, let's look at a couple of verses before we get into our main text today. Verses 6 through 7, he says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is, is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. He says, listen, when I came to Christ, I'm no longer at enmity against Him. I'm no longer the enemy of God. What is the difference? It's Jesus Christ. You see, the, the difference is who my Lord is now. See, the moment of salvation, the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit came to indwell my life. And He has gone with me for over 36 years. I've been a child of God and that Holy Spirit has, a, uh, has, has been with me every step along the way. Does that mean I'm perfect? Some of you are way too eager to answer that. But the reality is every time I sin, the Holy Spirit says, Hey, John, you know that that's a sin. You need to get that right. Hey, every time that I, that I step outside the bounds of what God wants for me, then He's there to guide me back into the place where He wants me. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life. He is my guide. He is my comfort. He is the one that abides with me forever. You see, the difference is my Lord. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 he makes this declaration to this church. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Isn't that good, church? And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You see, it's this lordship that brings me a brand new life. I love what A.W. Tozer said. He says that people who are crucified with Christ have three distinguishing marks. One, they are facing in only one direction. Capture that for a moment. How many of us are facing this way today and then this way tomorrow? He said people who are captured by Christ, who are crucified with Christ, face one direction. Secondly, he said they never turn back. No turning back, no turning back. And thirdly, he said, they no longer have plans of their own. You know what? That's what it means to have Jesus Christ as Lord in your life. Have you been crucified? Have you said, Lord, I crucify myself, my ambitions, and I'll lay it down for you? Because here's the reality. Our life is radically different when Christ is king in our life. We have a new goal, we have a new affection, we have a new desire, we have a new longing, and we are no longer chasing the cares of this world. We're no longer pursuing the carnal pleasures. Instead, the Spirit of God guides us into a spiritual mind that transforms our life. You know what the result of, of Christ as Lord is? is? Is exactly these things. Someone once said, Jesus is either Lord of all, or He's not Lord at all. Is He Lord in your life? 
Last week, we introduced the beginning of this message. It's a three-part message in case you're curious. I'll finish it next week, God willing. And last week, we saw that the Holy Spirit of God works in our life, and that ministry is to create a spiritual mind. And He takes us from that carnal mindset, as we saw in verses 5 through 8 last time, and He gives us a brand new spiritual mind, a mind that stayed upon the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 2.16, He says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that He may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And having that mind of Christ, we must realize we have a brand new life. He is Lord, and now we have a brand new life. Let's look in our Bible together. We're going to read verses 8 through 13 out of Romans 8. Romans 8, 8 through 13. Join me there. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ... He is none of His. Did you catch that? Verse 10, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of the, uh, the passage, for the Scriptures, for the work of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God in our life. And God, we bow before you because, one, we need your help today. Lord, I, I need your help uh, just to proclaim your truth, but we need your help to listen, to heed, and to respond as you would have us. So help our heart to be pliable, no matter where we're at today, to listen to the Word of God. And God, may we be willing then to act upon what we hear. Oh, how we love Jesus. And may that be manifest in our life today. In Jesus' name, amen. A 2021 study in the Pew, by the Pew Research Center revealed that people viewed family and their children as the number one factor that made life meaningful. And people will say, oh yeah, that sounds pretty good. Family and children, those are important. But listen, in 14 of the 17 advanced economies surveyed, more, more, more mentioned their family as a, a source of meaning in their lives than any other factor. You know, the problem with this is families sometimes have problems, don't we? If, you've, if you have lived on this earth more than two days, you realize that there are problems in families. Sometimes divorce happens. Sometimes a child gets errant from a mother and father's wishes. And we see that families sometimes have problems. There's this tug of war. And if your foundation for meaning of life is based in something so fickle as family, then what happens? Life loses meaning. You know, in that same research, they found that just above pets, okay, just above pets is religion for source for finding meaning in life. The very bottom one was your pet, and then it was religion. Now, religion could have meant all kinds of things in that particular survey, but here's the sad reality is so many people are looking for meaning in everything else in the world, and it's it winds up being empty. 
Now, I'm not knocking the fact that family is important. That's not at all what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is we're looking for the meaning of life in anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ. We're missing what God wants for us. You see, Jesus said, the thief cometh not but to for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And he says, but I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Now listen, we think of the abundant life and we think of uh, abundant as having everything I could ever need. I'm a millionaire. Or bit, that's nothing. You remember when you were a kid and you'd say, I'm a millionaire and that sounded like a lot of money? Now you're like, a millionaire is like, what is that? You need at least a billion to live on nowadays, Amen. That's a good economy right there. Listen, the abundant life, what Christ means in that word means is extraordinary life. Not a life that's, that's captured by this world, but a life that is beyond the borders of what this world can, can contain because it's in a life that is set in the eternal and not in the temporal. The abundant life is an extraordinary life, and only Jesus Christ can bring you to a life that is beyond your imagination. And so as we look at the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, God is calling us to submit to this ministry and see that He wants to cultivate in you a brand new life. A life that is free from selfishness, a life that is full of care for others, a life that is in love with God. And this, my friend, this is the abundant life of Christ, and it's a life full of meaning. In verses number 8 through 13, we're going to see how He develops this here but I want to remind you and call you back to John chapter number 3 in your Bible. In John chapter 3, Jesus Christ met with a man named Nicodemus. Now we remember him in the book of John. Uh, Nicodemus met with Jesus by night. And, and John 3.16 has the, one of the most famous verses ever recorded in all the Bible. For God so loved the world. We love that verse. And, and rightfully so. But before there, Jesus begins to teach him about what it means to have life. In verse number 5 and 6, he begins to teach Nicodemus. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And Jesus discussed this truth with Nicodemus. He instructed him in this matter that salvation brings brand new life. You see, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. God has made us brand new. No, no longer am I, I tied down by that old life. Though I live in the flesh, I do not have to serve after the flesh. I have a brand new life. And so what does He do? What, is this, what does the Holy Spirit do in our life First off, He gives us right motives. Look at verses 8 and 9 together. He says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but, they that are in, uh, but, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. There's motives that are here that He mentions. There was a young man who was working in an investment firm and, and he was uh, all excited. His young wife was about to have a, a baby and, and his co-workers seemed to be so concerned about, about his wife and the pregnancy and, and, the, and the, the new boy that would be coming along. And they'd say, now, now how's your wife doing? And they, every day they'd ask him, say, now, now John, how, how's your wife doing? And, and has, she come, has the baby come yet? And, and, and how close do you think it's going to be? And he's like, man, these people seem to care about me. What he didn't realize is that there was an office bet going when she would deliver. You see, they had the wrong motives. 
It's possible for Christians also to have false motives. The Holy Spirit in Romans 12, 9 says, Let love be without dissimulation. The word dissimulation means hypocrisy. We often hear people say, Well, he was in the flesh when he did that. And this term to be in the flesh is to be motivated by the desires of the flesh. And it's similar to the illustration of Isaac and his love for Esau we talked about last week. And he loved Esau because of the venison, not because Esau was godly, but because Esau made good meat. And that's a good reason to love him another man. I'm just saying, if you can smoke meat, you're my friend. Listen, but that is a selfish love, and the reward it brings can be painful and perhaps just temporal at best. So Paul warns us. And he warned young Timothy, and he warns the church today in 1 Timothy 6, in verses 3 through 6, and he talks about these motives and impure motives, how they can be contrary to what God wants in our lives. In verse number 3, he says, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. And this is what he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul warned Timothy that those that teach contrary to the words of Christ have something to gain. They have a worldly agenda. And he teaches that these are some that we must turn away from. He says, listen, you're not going to uh, go toward them, but instead withdraw yourself. But why in the world do people follow such men? Because they themselves are carnal. If you're in the Spirit, you are listening to and walking in the Spirit of God, then you'll be sensitive to false messages. If you notice a growing uh, term that we see today is this misinformation and disinformation. We're seeing this a lot. And we're seeing this confusion of what is true and what is false. And what once was right is now wrong. And what is right now is, is used to be wrong, according to the Bible. And, and as godly people, we have to have a spirit of discernment. Revelation 3, the Bible teaches that in the last days, men will become apathetic toward God. Revelation 3, verses 15 through 17, he talks of the church of Laodicea, and he warns that church, and he says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked... Listen, you know what he was saying? He was saying, listen, in the last days, we're going to see many men who pretend to be godly, and they're going to have a great worldly gain and many followers, but the problem is, is that it's just for temporal pleasures. Paul warned Timothy, once again, in 2 Timothy 3.1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And he goes on, describes those times, but part of that is there in verse number 5, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And he says this, from such turn away. Why? They seek, a, they seek some sort of a false truth. And, and the world, have you noticed it today? We, we see many people seeking a new truth. 
They're seeking something new and, and, and unique from anything we've ever heard before. And 2 Timothy 3.7 says, Ever learning and never able come to the knowledge of the truth. Again, he goes on in this passage and he just teaches. And so he, get, he tells Timothy in, in chapter 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears. And again, I go back to that from such turn away. Verse 4, he says, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned into fables. I don't know if anybody else saw this, but uh, during Super Bowl Sunday, I saw a, a, a video of pastors at a church called Crossroads Church in Cincinnati. It's a huge multi-site interdenominational church that boasts a weekly congregation of 34,000 people. And in this video, they punted a copy of the Bible across the stage. They kicked it, kicked the Bible. I watched that and I was horrified that any person that proclaimed the gospel could ever treat God's holy sacred word with such blatant disrespect. Listen, why would they do that? Because they're trying to gather a crowd and people have itching ears. What are your motives when you serve the Lord? What are our motives when we uh, want to serve in a Sunday school class or we want to go and build a van route or we want to uh, build a building? What are our motives behind that, behind that? Is it so I can get my name on a building or is it so I can get my name uh, published in the church news, newspaper? Listen, those things are false motives. One of the things I loved about Pastor Tolbert was his humility. Amen. I loved the, the spirit of Pastor Tolbert. And pray for him this week. He'll have a pacemaker put in on Tuesday. But Pastor Tolbert, he had such a sweet spirit. And he told me, he says, Brother John, he says, after I'm gone, if you ever put my name on a building, I will come back and haunt you. <laughs> I said, don't worry. We're going to call it the Tolbert Life Center. Don't you worry about that. Why, did, why is that important to him? Because motives matter. You see, the problem is we have a day that is filled with covetousness. There's a day, we live in a day that's filled with the spirit of pride. And these are the, uh, just the opposite of all that Jesus Christ is. And they, but God has called us to be led by the Spirit. See, I can't follow my heart. The problem is, is that if I follow my heart, my heart has all kinds of impure motives. Jeremiah wrote about this. He says in Jeremiah 17, 9, he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, talking about God speaking here, he says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. You see, God knows the very intent of your heart. So it's vital so it is vital that we heed the Spirit of God, that we let Him mold us and we let Him shape our lives so that we are conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Not just on the outside. I don't want to just put on a suit and tie and walk into church and everyone think my life is perfect. I want God to get a hold of what's on the inside. Amen. See, a new life in Christ means that my motivation for living is no longer about self. It's all about glorifying the precious name of Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.23 says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. See, surrendering to the Holy Spirit guarantees that your motives will be pleasing to God in every way. Even the best intentioned believer cannot properly evaluate his own life and his own motives. He needs the help from God who reads the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
In Psalms chapter 139 and verses 23 and 24, he speaks of this and he, and he calls on God. He says, search me, O God. He says, and know my heart. Try me and, and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. He said, God, make sure my life is pure. Lord, make sure my life is right with you. Make sure there's nothing between me and you. God, I don't want anything between my, my walk with you and, and, and me. You see, that's the reality of where we've got to be today. You see, when we're walking in the Spirit, we're saying, Lord, I am totally, completely surrendered even into the innermost being of who I am. There is, I'm not playing a game so that the pastor thinks I'm good and holy. I'm not playing a game so that I can get on the next uh, officer election. Listen, it's not about, not, not about any of those things. Instead, what it is all about, Lord, I want to please you. The psalmist knew that he needed God to illumine his heart in the recesses of places that he didn't even want to go to so that he could get those things right and he could walk fully with God. If you're here in the right motives, and you're here, uh, God knows. And if you're here with the wrong motives, God knows. If your motive here is to have a platform for others to hear, then you are here for the wrong reason. We're here for the purpose of glorifying Jesus Christ. And so let us yield our motives to Him. But also we see that we can, are controlled in our very members. And so my motives, my hearts, but also the outward manifestation of the heart is also controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Verse number 10. And if Christ be in you, if your motives are right, if your heart is right, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Your life is brand new. And it goes on in verse number 11, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. You know what He said? He's going to make you alive. He's going to give you a life that's worth living. In Romans 7, Paul shared how there was a war within this daily tug of war that he contended with the law of the, the mind and the law of the members. And both of these were pulling on him. And he says in Romans 7, 23, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. He said, listen, I'm daily struggling with this. But let me remind you, it is the Spirit of God that can raise the believer's body from the dead. It can control your very members of your body and bring you victory in this realm. In 2017, the U.S. military developed a brand new weapon. And for the first time during the fighting in Afghanistan, we saw the GBU 43B that was dropped on a tunnel complex that lived up to its name. This is known officially as a massive ordnance air blast. And un unofficially, this bomb is known as Mother of All Bombs, the Moab. It is believed to be the most powerful non-nuclear bomb ever used in combat. It was developed uh, in 2002, and it was tested for the first time the next year. But because it was so powerful, it was not suited for most uses in battle. And when it was called upon into action, the resulting explosion put to rest any doubts that, uh, about its ability or its power. But in the meantime, between the waiting and the actual using of it, they weren't sure if it would do what it wanted to. You see, victory doesn't come by using conventional weapons. Let me just remind you that. We're fighting a spiritual fight. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, uh, for, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to God through the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imagination and every high thing that exalted itself above the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And so we, when we walk, talk about spiritual warfare, we must remember that God has given us weapons that are powerful enough to defeat an enemy uh, that, that we could never defeat on our own. Remember, the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, is he talking about uh, your inner being? No, he's talking about the Holy Spirit of God that dwells in you. You see, you're unable, and we are unable to fight the, the devil on his own terms, and so we must use the power of God. And so, though Satan is strong, what we realize is that he is nothing in comparison to God. And God has given us everything we need to be victorious in him. Here's the reality. We, none of us will be able to be perfect as long as we live in this world. But we're not meant to live defeated lives. You see, God has given us what we need to win the battles over temptation. And God has uh, called us whenever we yield to sin, it's because we're not using the weapons He has provided. In the 14 years between the time the Moab was tested and the time that it was actually deployed and used, it, it was, and when it was first used in combat, each one of the bombs that had the same explosive potential, but none of that potential was recognized until the bomb fell and was used. Similarly, in our life, until we use the most powerful weapons God has provided, we will not realize their potential in our life either. Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's the walking in the Spirit that brings victory over the temptations. It's, it's this Spirit of God that brings a way through the trials. My Lord knows a way through the wilderness. So remember, victory was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross. His death, His burial, and then His resurrection demonstrates for us that we too can be victorious. In 1 Corinthians 15, 53-54, He mentions this, For this corruptible, talking about this, this body of flesh, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. You see the word mortal and immortal refer to the body. And it's this mortal which will put on immortality at the resurrection. And so one day I'm going to have a brand new body. Won't that be nice? How many of you, as we get older, we get a few more aches and pains, a few more things that don't work like they used to? I go around thinking all the time, old gray mare just ain't what she used to be. <laughs> Listen, no matter how old we may become, the body is still subject to death because of sin. And though the body dies, the spirit that has been made alive through the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. And so when, the, when I close my eyes here, when my breathing stops, I will open my eyes in heaven and my spirit will continue to live through the death of Jesus Christ. Listen, what a glorious thing. You see, and that means even today that I can live for Him. Verse number 10, we see here, And if Christ be in you... The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. You know, when Christ was here, He had, he had a, a, a very human flesh. 
And Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, both record those times of temptation that Jesus went through. And in both of those, we see the weakness that Jesus Christ experienced, just like us in the flesh. But I love it. Hebrews 4.15 says, is that though He was tempted, yet He is without sin. And God reminds us that if He can go and He can uh, live, God has given you the same Spirit who raised Jesus is dwelling in you today. That same Spirit that raised Jesus dwells every believer. That means that same Spirit of victory over death dwells me today. So what do we do? You see, with the Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit can give victory. And the victory over, over these, this war that Romans 7 deals with. And in Romans chapter 12, he goes on and he says, I beseech you therefore, as a result of this, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You see, so many people miss experiencing the power of God in their life because they've never fully surrendered. Well, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I want to do this over here. And this over here is pretty important to me. And, you know, my, my, that ball game or that uh, hobby or whatever it may be, I like that fishing and it's always on Sunday, those tournaments. And listen, we can stack up these things. And so instead of being fully and completely submitted to God and surrender in our life, instead we have all of these other things that pull us away from Him and we can never experience the victory God calls us to. You know, the body, Bible says that the act of surrender is one of the most important steps uh, to a life of victory. Surrendering to Christ is the most, one of the most important things that you can ever do. Laying down your life and saying, God, it is not mine, it is yours. Why is that? Because your body does not belong to you if you're a believer. The Bible says you've been bought with a price. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17, Know you not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Listen, once you relinquish control and say, God, I'm completely and totally yours, the Spirit of God can impart victory over sins, which involves the use of your body. There were two boys who were playing in the snow one day, and they decided, hey, let's see if we can make a straight line. And so one little boy, he, he got set and he fixed his eyes on a, on a particular mark. He was an oak tree out at the end of the field and he just started chugging away, making his little line. You ever done this as a kid? And his buddy, he, was, he did the same thing. He picked another tree and he came over here and he's right beside him and then he'd check his back trail. And then he'd go like this and he'd check his back trail. And then they, both of them, the first boy though, he never took his eyes off of the tree. He just kept chugging away, kept chugging away. And they got down to the tree, they turned around, and the, boy, the first boy who had his eyes on the tree the whole time, his line was just as straight as an arrow. The other boy who kept checking his back trail and turned back around and checking his back trail and turned around, his, his line was like this all over the place. You see, in our life, God has called us to keep our eyes upon Jesus Christ. 
Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin was just so easily beset us. I'm not looking at my back trail anymore. I'm just going to stay focused on the one thing that matters above everything else. And he says this in verse 2, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. That idea of, I'm just going to focus on Christ. Nothing else matters. Listen, today, let me just lay it out for you. We live in a world that is so full of immorality and so full of confusion and so full of hurt that sometimes it's easy to feel overwhelmed. And as believers, sometimes I look around and I see believers today just struggling on a day-to-day basis. And let me just encourage you, instead of looking at all the things around you, look unto Jesus. That's where you'll find victory. That's where you'll find the source of what you need. And that's that ministry of the Holy Spirit working in your life. But you see, the problem is if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you've never accepted Him to be Lord in your life as as your Savior, then the problem is your life is just in trouble. The Bible says the end of a life without Jesus Christ is a place called hell. And it's not about having a, a right church membership. It's not about having a right baptism. It's about making sure that your faith is centered on Christ alone. And he says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, the answer is Jesus. It's not all the other man-made stuff, but the Word of God is very explicit and very clear that salvation is through Christ alone. And today, if you would like to know that you're on your way to heaven, in just a moment, we're gonna, our instrumentalists are going to come back. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And it's a very calm song, but it's an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. And the most important thing you can do today is, one, make sure that you're saved. Don't leave here not knowing if you're going to heaven or hell. The Bible is clear. You can know. Amen. But Christian, maybe you have, you have never truly yielded, never truly surrendered, never truly said, Lord, I will lay down my life as a sacrifice. Today, God invites you. Experience the life that God designed for you by just saying, Lord, I'm yours. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked His disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And He offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?